It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli. I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oops, it's all bars. Oh, what a Thank you so much for joining us again to learn what is happening behind the scenes at Oops All Bards. I am Jillian Ashley Blair Ivy. Yes, that is four names for a very small human being. Um, I am joined by Ashley Banks, who plays Belle, Ross Curry, who plays Andrick, and our producer, Nate Runkle, who did so well on mic last time, we decided to give him a microphone again for this episode. Uh, episode four. We had, um, we all started back at Sovereign House, basically the bards being told that there's nobody left, as the theme song says, so we need you to help with negotiations. So you were, you all had a little bit of time to gather your things, uh, figure out that maybe horses were the best way to get to the Alcazar, and then travel to the Alcazar, where a series of lucky rolls meant that you did not do any of the uh, the creepy haunted house type stuff that I had planned for you there. And instead, you went straight upstairs to meet Lucinda O'Cor, who is the former uh, Minister of Propaganda, I believe was, is the title that I gave her. It would be helpful if I looked at my notes when we record these episodes. Um, but you met Lucinda O'Cor and tried to negotiate with her. And uh, we unfortunately don't have have Anne, who plays Clarice, with us to talk about the negotiations specifically, but we have Ashley and Ross here to talk about the episode, um, everything that was happening up to that point. And then after the conversation with Lucinda wrapped, you headed out, and a mysterious canine sort of figure appeared and informed Ruckus that his family was in rather a lot of danger because of the arrival of Malvo's supporters and took Ruckus away with her so that Ruckus could could take care of, of all of the other dog folk who really needed him and uh, rode off into the sunset. I think it's already dark by this point, but we'll say sunset. Um, howling, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> so that is, that is where we are so far in our recordings. Um, I would, I would really just kind of like to open the floor to Nate, Ashley and Ross and see if there's anything that happened while we were recording this episode that, um, took you by surprise or was perhaps not going the way that you expected it to. Like what, what were some of your thoughts or takeaways as we, as we wrapped episode four? Yes, Ashley. <laughs> I'd like to say for the record that I'm pretty sure he was not howling, don't worry, be happy. He was howling, shmote, shmori, shmi, shmappy. Oh, right. Yes. Yes. That is the, uh, just to make sure that, that our intellectual property, I think that howling 
the the tune to the song is probably covered by fair use but yes <laughs> shmo shmari shmi shmappy is uh is the the official dog folk travel song yes um, you know uh, that, that was so, that was my only contribution <laughs> i'll say that um i wasn't expecting that at all um for everybody to start singing along and even re-listening to it a little tear i'm not gonna lie Aww. i'm a sensitive guy it was it was a really beautiful moment yeah since since we're on the the topic anyway let's um let's just talk about that because for our listeners, just so you know, Ruckus, there's not a plan for Ruckus to come back in, in this season of Oops All Bars. Uh, Chris. <laughs> yes, if you have not listened to episode four, this would probably be a good time to do that. Yeah, um, put, put, put a spoiler warning in your intro. Yes. Um. So, so yeah, so so Chris Klinecki, who we've all acted with and played D&D with and was playing Ruckus, made the decision to leave the show for um, reasons that were entirely his to decide. And we all support him and love him. And some of us were just at Chris's wedding this past weekend uh, as we're recording this. You're going to be listening to this. By the time you listen to this, Chris will have been married for several months. Um, but in real time, we were, we've were we just celebrated Chris's wedding. So there are absolutely no hard feelings. We love Chris very much. We love Ruckus. Um, but but we have had to say goodbye to Ruckus as a player and as a character in Oops All Bards. And so what I'd love to to hear uh, from Ross and Ashley, I'm sure you've both, and I know Ross for a fact has, and I'm Ashley, I'm sure you both, you have also come across a situation where in an, a real D&D game, you've had a player who's had to leave your campaign. And I'd love to know how you handled that. I mean, the, and this doesn't just happen in D&D. I've, I've had it happen in theater productions where, um, you know, a, a, a performer has a personal life event or there's something that's not gelling or, um, you know, they, they suddenly, you know, they're an actor and they get a full time job that pays them way more and that like they just need to go on the spot. And they're like, th this is not exclusive to D&D. &D. So it it just happens. And, you know, it, it's that it's cliche to say the show must go on. Um, but you figure out a a graceful way to, you know, make that happen. Uh, because as you said, there are, there are no hard feelings whatsoever. It was just circumstances were such that a transition needed to happen. Um, for for me, it did happen at a D and D table, and, and this one was one where uh, a player just was not vibing with the way I run my game. Uh, I had put her on the. She felt that I put her on the spot a few times because I run a very social interaction heavy game. And I and from my point of view, I was trying to make all the players feel included. And so at times I was saying, hey, how does Hilda feel at this moment? And this person is fairly introverted and, and felt put on the spot. So the type of game that I was running was not conducive to her idea of fun and you know we had we had a very we we're very good friends above the, still one of my very best friends above the table and so like we just had a conversation like that's fine um and found a, a logical point you know at the end of an arc within the campaign for them to leave and and they left and 
that's fine. It it happens. So Ashley, uh, what has your experience been with with players leaving? Yeah, I actually can't think of an example of that happening, and I think I get around it by doing a lot of one shots. Um. So like. Jokes on you, players! Ah, ha ha ha. Um, but also the the campaigns that I do have that are very long running are with like my roommates from college. So you know we haven't actually had a D and D session for several months now. At some point we'll pick it back up. So like yeah. uh, you know, barring barring any you know major shifts there hasn't been an occasion for a person to leave it's more like oh i can't make it this weekend it's like okay well we'll get together at some point i guess um how's next thursday in 17 months um (laughs) it it gets challenging and we've certainly encountered that that scheduling challenge uh within the just the oopsal bards cast uh we are we are actually recording this behind the scenes episode on a night that we are supposed to be recording episode five um but because of uh various reasons this not not including but not limited to the fact that there was supposed to be a uh, playoff baseball game today that might have affected everybody who lives outside of South Philadelphia's ability to get to the recording in South Philadelphia, and then the Phillies wound up losing, and it was a non-issue anyway. Eddie, I'm not better. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, it... Um, but also getting home got, afterwards. Getting home, Which could yeah, have gone either home. way. Right, well, yeah, if the, if the Phillies had won, I think it would have especially been challenging for everybody to get home, because for those uh, of our listeners who are not familiar with Philadelphia, when our teams win championships, it is a beautiful bedlam in the city, and a lot of that happens not far from where Ross and I live, which would have made it very challenging for the folks who don't live in this area to get home. Um, I just wanted to say, though, that, you know, as far as as far as trying to figure out player exits and what to do when when life intervenes, I also recently heard a very, a very clever solution to this, which was player very much wanted to continue playing. But he uh, he was a college freshman who was playing in a game with adults and um, they created his a backstory around his character that he's a mercenary. And so sometimes his character just has to leave to <laughs> go out on a, a paid mercenary gig and he might be gone for one gathering or he might be gone for six but he'll come back and have some stories and he's working with the the dm who is his his mother in real life who is his mother's partner um to kind of figure out like depending on how long he's he's been gone what was happening and is he coming back with an interesting npc or a cool weapon or some booty that he picked up along the way so there are ways, you know, for, for folks who are listening who are interested in playing D&D but are worried about the commitment, there are ways to make it work with somebody who very much wants to play but maybe isn't always available when the rest of the party is available. Mm-hmm. Well, let me I'm ask also... you... Oh, go ahead. Oh. No, 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 please. Let me ask you this uh, from, from a DM standpoint and, and more specifically a DM standpoint of this show uh, where we've seen you know, our fair share of disruptions, but nothing out of the ordinary, just, you know. Right. Um, uh, have you um, created exit plans for everybody just in case in a small envelope <laughs> that you can crack open uh, when when need be? Batman style, you know, I, I can yes, take any of you Yes, out. exactly. 
Um, I have not. Um, you know, in Rekus's case, I made it very clear from the beginning that I did not want this podcast to wind up on does, does the dog die.com. Um, so, so I gave, I gave Chris the opportunity to let Ruckus go out in a blaze of glory. And he's like, I don't, I don't think that that's what you want. I don't think that's what our listeners want. Um, which I, I appreciate it because it wasn't, I did, I did not want to be the person who killed the giant dog. Um, but you know, I, I, I feel like there are, if you are having a, an in storyline departure for a character, as opposed to just so-and-so doesn't want to play anymore. And we've just kind of forgotten about them. There are a lot of ways to do it. It you know it could be somebody is getting summoned home for something that's that's very urgent with their family, like what we've handled with with Ruckus. It might be that you know it could be that somebody gets very seriously injured or killed in combat. It could be that they just decide that they've fallen in love and they're going to go elope somewhere. <laughs> it might be the first you're hearing of the like the the goblin princess that they've fallen in love with, but now that's happening. It could be that somebody needs to stay back at the base to keep yes. an eye on all of our chickens that we've gathered. Yes. Yes. So um, <laughs> Ashley and Ross and I, and also Chris and Bob and Anne, uh, were all playing in a game that was run by our friend Michael, who's one of our, our producers at the Porch Room. And um, that game started with a hybrid of... It was all people who were involved in a, a theater company that was run out of the University of Pennsylvania. And some of us were alums or staff at the university and some were students. And so what happened was that the uh, the student players, for the most part, graduated and uh, went on about their lives. They and keep kind doing of, that. They keep doing that every four years. It's very inconvenient. Um so for the most part, when they when they graduated, they had other things going on and they decided not to keep playing. I don't think any of them ever officially decided not to keep playing. I think they just kind of stopped showing up. Mm -hmm. But um, for for those of us uh, who were already, we'll say, working professionals at the time that we started playing that game, um, we we decided that we wanted to keep going. And so we had this kind of home base operation uh, where there was a chicken farm, there was a brewery, there were some other things. And so it was like, occasionally we would just like check back in to see how things were going at the glob, right? That's the what glob. it was. It was mm -hmm. the glob. Um, we'd go, we'd, we'd like check in to see. And so we, our DM would just tell us that like the chickens are very happy. The, the yeast for the beer is coming along nicely. Like there's a good harvest of hops this year, that sort of thing. And so we just, like they were there. And if the characters ever, if the players did ever want to come back, the characters were still in the world. But we didn't worry about it too much. <laughs> and that campaign just ended a few months ago. Um, I'm not even sure if those other players know that the campaign ended. They're still in the the WhatsApp group or the groupmate group, but that's um that's certainly one way of doing it too. You just have a reason for your players to to stay behind. Mm -hmm. They might decide to open a tea shop in the the last town that you visited. And so maybe you'll maybe you'll be able to encounter that that player again if you roll back through town. There are a lot of things to do. You don't necessarily have to write somebody's exit with finality um it's not it's dnd it's not a soap opera yeah but if you if somebody want, feels very strongly that they so want to like, exit as an example of that the, the player who left the game that i run uh they were a wizard and um the the way we left it off was that they left a note for the closest uh person in the party that they were to um that they found, uh, you know, a session later. Um, but 
she had gone off because she realized that actually being out in the world was not advancing her study in the way that she wanted to. She needed to go to um, a, a place to really study Arcana in an academic kind of way. And that way, you know, the, the wizard had left the party. But, you know, especially because this is a very good friend, the door is always open for them to come back. And I don't care how much shoehorning it takes. If they ever came to me and said, could I rejoin the game? I, I That avenue is open for them and I will make it happen. I think, you know, going back, Nate, to your, your you know, Batman style envelope, um, I think I don't know any DMs who have that because, A, it, you know, the options are endless. B, it's really dependent on the character, what the player wants, right? What feels good for them. But also where the characters are in their art, right? Like, um, if Ruckus were leaving, you know, somewhere in the middle of the the season, um, it could be that it could be that, you know, the the same things happen, but it could be that that wouldn't quite make sense and maybe the the particular beats that that story followed would have been different. Um and I think yeah, so just, it's it's hard to do a character leaving well, requires planning once you know it's happening, but it's very hard to plan it in advance because otherwise you're, you're kind of shoehorning things. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah, and I will say, like, when, when Chris told me that he was leaving, like, we, we did talk about, again, like, I, I said, you know, we can let Ruckus go out and blaze glory, and he said, let's not do that. But I gave him a couple of options, both in terms of, how that departure would happen and also uh, when it would happen. Like, you know, we, we had the way that that episode wound up being structured. It was like, we could have had the, uh, the other best bow show up right as you were walking out of the Alcazar to go get your things and, and collect horses, or we could have had it happen as you were walking Sorry, as you were leaving the Sovereign House, not as you were leaving the Alcazar, but we could have had it as you were entering the Alcazar or on your way to the Alcazar. And, um, you know, Chris said he'd really like to to get through the episode with us. So we made the decision kind of on the spot for that particular decision to just have it go that way. And I think that it, it wound up working out very well. Um, So I also wanted to just kind of talk about uh, what happened while you were at the Alcazar? Because, um, as I mentioned at the beginning, I had kind of planned on there being an opportunity for you all to explore this this old summer home of the the former autocrat of of Melville. And <laughs> through a series of roles that um, revealed the information that you needed right away uh you just basically had lucinda core throw up in the door and be like hi i'm or hi y'all i'm up here um so so i'm i'm curious and i know like ross we just we actually just finished in one of the campaigns that you run we had kind of a, a haunted house situation but i'm curious when you have situations like that uh where you've you've planned something and then it doesn't go that way how much of that material do you recycle? Because I've I've personally already figured out like it, what if anything from that I can recycle. But but when that opportunity presents itself, 
or when players skip something that you're actually really excited about doing, do you figure out a way to get it back in there? Or do you just say, you know what, it wasn't meant to be? Within the same campaign, I don't recycle it. There's stuff that I put in my back pocket for a one shot or another campaign. Um, but, you know, one, one of the cliches, but I really believe it's true, is plans are useless. Planning is essential. And that, you know, so the effort of creating a haunted house, you know, you might run a Halloween one shot next year in which you get to use all of that stuff. It might not happen in Oops All Bards, but that time you put in, you know, you find another creative outlet for it, whether it's by putting it into a short story or putting it into a, a one shot or that that type of work is is worthwhile. So I let my players, you know, if they short circuit something, great. I I have no problem with that. You know, since since the incident that we talked about in the previous uh, behind the scenes, like that was one of the big lessons learned of like, you know, don't put anything out there. You know, if, if you put a binary choice, and, and this is not the haunted house situation, but if you put a binary choice in front of players and you're prepared for them to do either, by definition, 50% of your effort is going to be wasted. But I don't think it ever is. You just find other, you know, you, you learn from the process of doing it. So, no, I, I don't worry about uh, players short-circuiting my plans anymore. I'm really impressed, Ross, that you remember a whole month ago the conversation we had on the last behind the scenes because I've already long <laughs> since forgotten that stuff. Uh, well, you know, uh, all of us are just known for having memories that are just so sharp. There is nobody in this cast with any memory issues. No, no ADHD. None. No long none. COVID. No long COVID. <laughs> no. Nothing, no, nothing of the sort. No, we're just a crew. No medications or, just, yeah. Just a, just a crew of neurotypicals who hit every deadline. Oh, yeah. <laughs> With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Jill, could I actually throw that back at yeah. you in, in the other way? Like, when our roles went really well and, and we knew exactly the room that we had to get to, mm-hmm. did you think about repurposing or, or like replacing some of the obstacles in order for us to like just to have to get to the like we knew exactly where we had to get to but like we might still have had to do some unpleasant stuff to get there yeah i thought about it but a lot of a lot of what i what had been in the house was not even necessarily obstacles it was investigation and so it was like this is this is information that i can just have lucinda give to you uh, or, or you could, you know, if you, if you rolled well enough on your, your insight checks or your perception checks, you could pick up rather than it being like, you know, 
books for you to to find or drawers for you to open. There were not necessarily a lot of encounters in the house because I wanted us to make sure that we actually got through recording the whole episode and I didn't want somebody to get hung up on uh you know we had in uh in one of the games that Ross DMs we had like a sentient rug recently <laughs> and so I didn't want anybody to get like caught up in, in trying to figure out how to get away from this rug that was trying to swallow them whole um so it was going to be, and I guess haunted house probably is not necessarily the right word for this because it wasn't like there were not ghosts or or phanta- phantasms or poltergeists in this house. It was going to be more like learning more about what might have, what might explain what has brought Malvo back. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that you kind of did find out a little bit from your interaction with Lucinda and some of that. Honestly, it's it's interesting and it's relevant and it gives more flavor, but it's not so essential that you can't move on with the story without that information. And so I've I've got certain things that I had planned to happen in that house that were just revealed in that conversation. And there are certain things that will maybe get revealed later. And there are certain things that once we wrap, I'll be able to say, here are the things that you didn't know about Malvo and his return, uh, his presumptive alleged return. Um so, so asterisk, yeah, I mean, asterisk, for me, asterisk. Yes. <laughs> for me, it was, um, I was sad to not have you get the opportunity to, to see this house because who doesn't love to walk around a spooky house, but it was not something that I felt like I could just, I wasn't going to like, oops, somebody's foot fell through a floor, a, a stair tread. And now you're in this, in the kitchen or something. I wasn't, I wasn't going to do that. Um, it also it kind of felt like it would cheapen the the fact that you were all able to figure out where you needed to go very quickly. So I didn't want to put any obstacles in your way at that point. Um, you know, there were there there again were still things that that didn't happen or that you didn't find out by things going that way. But you also managed to just circumvent all of that and go to the the main information source and get that that information much more quickly. Let me ask you a question um, from a DM standpoint, and I'll also throw it um, yeah. to Ashley and Ross from a player standpoint. Um, what are some things, if any, uh, you know, maybe maybe not, um, that you might have done differently had this just been a a game and not a show? Mm. Um, I think that I probably. Oh, huh, that's a really good question. I think that I probably would have nudged you all a little bit more toward like, don't you want to explore this spooky house mm. uh, rather than just saying like, oh, you bunch of a bunch of lights just lit up along the staircase. So clearly you're supposed to follow the, the staircase up. Um, I think that I probably would not. In, and in, and maybe even for the purpose of the show, in hindsight, maybe I wouldn't have had you roll for that immediately. I might have just said, like, you're standing in the foyer of this this grand house and. What are you going to do and let everybody explore it a little bit independently before I before I brought the dice in. Um, But because I had those, I think they were perception checks so early on to just be able to say like, oh, hey, what have you know? Oh, you you see the candles. You see the. So, yep. Go on upstairs. (laughs) That was that um, that in some ways actually eliminated the choice from the the players. And it's probably not not the way that I would do it going forward. or if I if I had the the DC on those rolls, I had set so high. I was like, "There's no way, <laughs> there's no way." Um, and yet every time, so 
uh, it it um it worked out for all of you because you got to get to the information a lot faster, and it works for for me because I got to give you that information faster, and we got to like you know go home a little bit earlier. Uh, I I mean we're recording at my and Ross's home, so we it didn't make a difference for us, but everybody else got to go home a little bit earlier. Um, it's just that we um. You know, there was there was stuff that might have been fun or interesting for you as players that you you missed. I mean, to to go into some of the crunch of five e a little bit, one of the dangers of the situation that that Jill had set up, and dangers I mean in terms of you know us being able to short circuit things, is bards are skill masters. Uh, you know, all bards, regardless of our subclasses get jack of all trades which means at a minimum we get to add half of our proficiency bonus to every single skill check it is not hard for a group of bards to roll a whole bunch of 25s on even even if our character sheets are not optimized it is not hard for a group of bards to roll a whole bunch of 25s on perception investigation insight that type of stuff because you know it's it's the nature of the class and i, I don't especially frankly, I don't when know. you have all bards right like right, if you have right, one oops, bard right. in the party oops. then it's like oh well they have a good chance of like getting surprisingly high rolls um when you have five bards statistically one of us is going to do really well yes yeah. yeah, and and you know one of the ways that you can limit that uh, if you're DMing your own campaign full of bards because I don't know you're as insane as I am, um, is to not let as many people do the roles. It might just be like one person gets to do this role, and if it fails, then it fails for the whole party. Um, you can also rely more on people's passive perception or passive wisdom to uh, figure out what 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 might the result be rather than leaving it up to the dice. Um, sometimes, I mean, as the DM, depending on, on what platform you're using, uh, even if you're using paper and pencil, you probably have all of your characters sheets so you can see what everyone's passive skills are and make a determination just like, look at it and be like, oh, this person's passive perception is 10 and the DC here would be 17. I'm going to make that person. I'm just going to ask them like what you know here's what you notice and just not not leave it up to chance but i also really like the opportunity to everybody likes to roll dice like everybody <laughs> likes to roll physical dice it's fun and so i don't want to take that away from you either yeah and i think the the trick as a dm is finding that balance of anytime your players fail a check they're always failing forward um yes. and always progressing the story even if they aren't rolling well um and mm. i think for dms the inverse is true that you want to make sure that they always succeed forward as well yes um so you don't have don't leave it to chance for something where it's like oh if you roll a nat 20 here it breaks the whole game and you just never encounter the boss i had planned um yes instead a20 means that something really cool happens or you get uh, information you wouldn't have had, or you get an item that you wouldn't have had, or you get a surprise attack round because you get the drop on somebody that you otherwise wouldn't have, right? Um, making sure that um, the 
the best case scenario doesn't break your game and the worst case scenario doesn't result yeah. in your players being like, well, I guess we just stand here and then try picking the lock again. <laughs> right. And I will say I've I've played in games and I've I've listened to a lot of, of actual play podcasts and, and other content where sometimes somebody rolls a natural one at a crucial moment where like the DM really needed the player to to find that information out. And so instead of not giving them that information that is important to to go forward, um, it might be that like the consequences of the natural one are going to come up later. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be that, you know, you trip and fall and your foot goes through that stair tread that we were talking about. But when it does, you find a piece of paper brushing your your shin. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's the information that you needed. And so you have you have ways or it might be in a conversation with an NPC where somebody rolls a natural one and the NPC is like, look, it seems like you really need help. So now I'm, I'm just going to give you all of this information or at least enough of the information mm-hmm. to allow this to progress. Because, yeah, you don't want to be in a situation where a natural one is everybody's just going to stand around and stare at each other and now <laughs> the game is over. Right. Uh, and you, you don't want to be in a situation where a natural 20 is like, and you have managed to drive a Sherman tank into this castle and everybody is dead. Right. Surprise, the end. Um, I actually, uh, in, in all of that D&D podcast, po- podcasting content that we listen to, I know that um, Ross and I had been listening to an episode a while back of um, Not Another D&D Podcast. They do these dungeon court episodes. And there was one where uh, the players managed to, I don't remember if they actually built or if they just like hijacked some sort of airplane space shuttle whatever it was something that could fly and had a lot of firepower to it and they made the decision to jump out of it and you know they were safe they had parachutes but they allowed it to just like fly into the castle where the big bad was like there is literally no way (laughs) that that anybody could have survived that so yes congratulations like you are done. So there's also like you have to make sure don't give the, don't give your players a dirigible if there's any chance that they could fly the dirigible into the big bad's lair. Um, or also, prepare like, or prepare to be prepared to suddenly be like, ah, yes, the big bad's lair has cannons that are specifically designed that are going to shoot you out of the sky. To shoot you yeah. out of the sky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or the big bad has a twin brother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who is now going to seek revenge on you for yeah. for doing this like the the wicked witch of wicked witch of the west sort of scenario where like you killed what you thought was a bad guy and now here's an even worse guy we're sorry yeah. but your princess is in another castle <laughs> jill while we're talking about the the house and you know how quickly we went further i'm, I'm just curious as to um do you know we're doing theater of the mind here because this is an audio uh-huh. medium um do you actually even lightly like sketch out like what the actual layout of this house was um i had it in it was all in my head <laughs> um i was I, I would have been able to tell you like what rooms are where i did not build a map for it we've done just so so the folks listening at home know um for that first encounter at the stadium we did actually have a battle map because that was um if you listen to the behind the scenes episode for episode two, you know that we re-recorded uh, most of that encounter. And part of the reason we re-recorded that was because it got very confusing to keep track of where everyone was without a battle map. So we 
even though you're never going to see the battle map, we had a battle map that we were able to to look at for the purposes of of running that encounter. Um, this time, because again, I didn't really plan on any sort of like the encounters were not going to be combat that I was planning on you you coming across in this castle. So it didn't seem important to have a map ready to go for you. But I was, you know, knowing that we have some very good note takers in our group, it would have been very easy to say, like, off to your right, you're going to find a dining room and a salon and a kitchen. And like, I, I'm not looking at my notes right now, so I don't remember exactly the flow that I, I had it in. But I did have like, in my head, but also some notes on what is the general layout of the house. And like when I, you know, when you got to the library, I was able to describe where the library was and, and what it looked like. So I, I knew that. Um, but, you know, you missed out on a couple of like servant type NPCs who might have been able to give you some information. You missed out on it's not going to come up again. So I can I can tell you, you missed out on a shrine to Malvo that was had been set up in the house, um, you know depending on on how that how what you had found out there it might have given you a little bit more information about how or whether Malvo truly was back or whether this was some sort of glamour or illusion you might have been able to 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 glean some of that information but there was no universe in which i was going to give you all of that information no matter how well you rolled um so so yeah but like i had i had things planned um but it was going to be largely an investigative encounter rather than a combat-based encounter. So having the map available for all of you was not going to be as essential. Right. I, I meant more in terms of, you know, the layout. Did you know how many rooms there were? Like, what rooms were on which floor? That yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, I sure did. <laughs> it was kind of sad for, for to not be able to share all of that with you. Uh, maybe... Maybe we'll do some some bonus content there for our patrons at some point, but um, it's uh, it was not it was not something that it was not something that I felt like I needed to actually have like a physical sketch of in order to navigate you through it. I would have been able to describe it to you just fine. I mean, the good and news again, is knowing- that that like the layout of a large fancy house very reusable. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And also some of that information that I had hidden around that house and some of those NPCs might show up somewhere else. Um, you know, it's kind of like when you have when you have a situation where there is information that you truly need your players to get and they're at a fork in the road and it's like they can go either east or west. Uh, and east is toward one town and west, is, you know, east is toward Easton and west is toward Weston. Uh, and but either way, they're going to need to re-up on their their rations as soon as they get into town. The shopkeeper has the same information like you can you as much as you you try to direct your players in one way or another. There are certain times where you can say like there's there's just information that I need to get to my players. And so the Eastern shopkeeper and the Western shopkeeper are cousins who talk to each other frequently and have shared this information and now they're going to share it with you or you don't even you don't even bother with that amount of backstory it's like no matter where you go there you you are are going to be getting this information (laughs) yes there is a cabbage seller in every town yes (laughs) somebody's somebody's trinket shop is going to have exactly the the object that you need to use as your spellcasting focus sometimes as a dm you create doors for your players, and sometimes all of the doors lead to the same exact room. 
Yeah. Um, and sometimes you've come up with some sort of, of magical conceit to explain that. Sometimes it's just like, I don't care if you went upstairs or downstairs, like whatever, whatever door you open next is going to be the room where you're going to have this encounter. Mm-hmm. Like, And sometimes the players beholder- can know that because, and sometimes they just never find, you know, if you, you come to a fork in the road, turns out left and right both lead to the same place, but they don't know that. <laughs> Right. Right. Exactly. It's a really fine line, though, between, you know, I'll say the using the false choice beneficially to like, okay, this information needs to get out there. The players. There's no way you're missing this. Right. But but also choices should, at least in my view, choices should have consequences like, no, you we didn't fully explore the house, so there should be information that we don't get that mm-hmm. has repercussions oh, later on. and there on. absolutely is. Uh, yeah, and, and it is a really fine line, that, that whole, like, the illusion of choice is an interesting philosophical thing to think about in terms of when you're running these games. Yes. Yeah, yeah. and I think it's a matter of, like, what are the stakes when when these choices are being made? Like... If the choice is you're going east or you're going west, but basically like you are the the next thing that you are going to do is get supplies. It doesn't really matter if you decide to when you get to the fork in the road, because eventually the roads are going to converge. Like if in that in that is the case, it doesn't really matter if it is, you know, like what we talked about in our our past behind the scenes episode where like. You can go north and find the cure for this disease or you can go south and this character in your or this player in your party is going to wind up dying because you ran out of time trying to like find this hermit librarian instead of getting the cure for the disease. Like those are, those are choices that have real consequences to them. And yeah, by not exploring the house again, because this was, this was lucky rolls and not a player decision. I'm going to be a little bit nicer to you and figure out how to insert some of that information. But there are certain things that were site specific, like that shrine that you're not, you're not going to encounter again. Um, and then there are other things that like, you know, if if there was a note that was written on a scrap of paper stuffed in a book somewhere in that house, maybe you're just going to find that note written on a you know scrap of paper in a book at a thrift store on your way to wherever you're going next. Um, that's the that's that's where we're to, like, that's the level of of consequence or importance that we're we're talking about here. I'm not. I, I think you're right. I think that that your choices, the actions that you take do have consequences to the direction that the game goes in. I'm just saying that sometimes it doesn't actually matter. Yeah. Or sometimes the consequence is further down the road, right? Like maybe uh-huh. you're going east versus west and you're going to meet a town keep uh, shopkeeper in either town that gives the same information. But then where you go after that is going to be different mm-hmm. because maybe on one side you're near the coast and on the other side you're near the mountains right like exactly the the doors can lead to the same room but have different effects long term right but it is making me think of um Mm -hmm. that scene there's an episode in the good place um and and at the end the the our protagonists go and this is you know no spoilers for for anybody who hasn't seen it yet but also why haven't you seen it yet um but the protagonists are like we got all four clues you gave us and the other person's like okay i mean i i gave you over a thousand <laughs> but sure good job right and i feel yeah. like that's what being a dm is is mm-hmm. sprinkling the needed information in so many ways 
Yes. Well, I, th- I think, or like, you know, into the woods where you've got the, the cow is white as milk, the cape is red as blood, the, the hair, as yellow the as hair corn, is pure as gold. Is pure is as gold. Yeah, yes. There we go. Thank you. I can't, I can't actually do it if I'm not singing it. Um, so, but you know, there are, there's the moment in Into the Woods, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen or not familiar with this like 33 year old musical by Stephen Sondheim, which that, like right? if you're not, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it came out in 88, okay. 89, okay, something yeah. like that. So like 36 years old. 1987. Um, 87. Great. Well, I'm at least, I was at least close. Um, if you, for our listeners, if you have not listened to or seen Into the Woods, there is a recording of, of the original cast with Bernadette Peters that is readily available and you should watch it. There's also the movie that was made a couple of years ago with a bunch of famous Hollywood actors that I didn't bother to see. I've seen it on stage many times. I've so I've heard. Um, but I've seen I've also seen it on stage many times. I've I've been in the play many times. And the reason that I'm bringing it up is there is a a moment in the play where instead of getting you know, they, they are trying to find the hair is yellow as corn and they make a decision to get something that is not actually what they need. And the spell that they are using these ingredients for doesn't work. Um, they also the cow is white as milk winds up dying and they have to revive the cow in order for the spell to work. Like there are there are things that happen along the way with these items or these pieces of information that you collect that can go sideways if you didn't go through the right steps or didn't get the the right information so so yeah like it is it is still really important to take the time to figure out the puzzles and collect the the informations or collect the informations collect the information or collect the objects um but there are also ways to circumnavigate some of those things yeah and as a dm the 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 challenge and part of the pleasure is finding the things that are immutable and finding the things that are, well, they can get that information later or no, you need it now. And back to what we were talking about before with the checks, you know, how do you fail forward? How do you succeed Mm -hmm. forward? Um, And how do you keep it interesting without? Yeah. At the end of the day, how do you tell a fun story? Yes, absolutely. And that is that is what we are trying to do. And I think that that is probably a good note to leave everybody on. So, oh, so we don't, we don't we don't oh. get to talk about the most important aspect of this past episode. What was that? What what is the most important aspect of this I'm dying to know what you think is the most important aspect of this past episode. Um I I I really wanted to know how you came up with uh, the names of the horses, Pansy oh and goodness. Rainstep and Hogan and Flashheart. Oh boy, uh, I had a fantasy name generator open on my computer while we were playing. Nailed it. And I kept refreshing it until I found names that I liked. But that was... was... Was there was there any logic to what horse's personality and what name got associated with which character? None at all. I thought that it was going to be, <laughs> we have gone to the stable and we have found horses. <laughs> I did not realize that we were going to spend so much time. I should have realized, given that I know my players pretty well, I should have realized that, that we were going to spend some time trying to find the right horses for the right players. I also should have considered the fact that Ruckus probably would not want to ride horseback. Um, 
But yes, we uh, that was truly a like, oh, we want we have questions about horses. OK, <laughs> like, that is uh, and that is something that happens when you're playing D&D a lot, too. Like, oh, um, yeah, people joke about um, Bobble and the Goblin. How <laughs> you're sitting in a bar, which you as we talked about last time, who you basically gave to us in the form of goth the satyr. Yes. Yes, uh, that is also, I think, I'm pretty certain that name came up from a fantasy name generator also, Goff's name. Um, but, you know, so the, so there's this idea that, like, the the party walks into a tavern or they're sitting in a bar and there's, like, an orc in the corner who's got a hood pulled up over his face and is, like, shuffling cards. And you've got an elf who is sitting by himself in the back of the room observing everything that's going on. And then there's a goblin down at the end of the bar. And the party says, I want to talk to the goblin. <laughs> it's like, yeah, of <laughs> Great, course this is. Do. Yeah, so it's like, this is Boblin the Goblin. And you just have to roll with it. So that was the, the horses. That was my, that was my, uh, of this particular episode, because it's not the first time it's happened. It was my Boblin the Goblin moment where it's like, oh, you guys want to meet the horses. You don't want to just have horses ready for you to go tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> We are going to do this. Um, yeah. uh, but that is the like beautiful and wild and wacky thing about this game, too. That's um I, I mentioned in our last behind the scenes, uh General Addison Goods, General Goods. Yes. Um, yes, and that that is from my first campaign that I DM'd um and became the naming convention for literally all of my shops and shopkeeps. So um <laughs> We have we also have Carrie's Apothecary. Uh-huh. Uh so yeah, that's just now it's now it's a thing. Anytime they need a shop, I'm like the name of the shopkeeper is the name of the shop. But not in yes. the way that you think. Yeah. Uh I I love that. I will I might have to, to start adopting that myself. Um it is it's it's fun to be put on the spot sometimes for these things, and it is also I didn't start playing D&D until, you know, there was internet and I was using my, my character sheet was on my phone or on my laptop. And, and as a DM, like I, when I'm DMing modules that are not homebrewed, I will, I will use modules that are in books, but I still have my computer that is open in front of me. So that if somebody says, oh, I want to like, I want to go over to the, the tavern and have a drink. Tell me about the bartender. I'm like, okay <laughs> um, and like fantasy name generator is uh is up and running i will also say uh some some kind of like behind the curtain information for for our listeners but also for our players uh, i've been using chat gpt a lot in uh, in the creation of some of these things i as a writer have very mixed feelings about chat gpt in terms of creating content that you're putting out into the world but for whatever reason, probably because ChatGPT was built by people who are nerds like us, <laughs> uh, you can pull up a very good stat block on ChatGPT. So if there comes a time where you have somebody who is like, I want to go talk to the bartender, I'm going to be really surly toward him and pick a fight. I can be just like, hey, ChatGPT, please roll up a, uh, a stat block for a level eight elf uh elf ranger who happens to be working at a bar while he waits for his next assignment <laughs> and it will you know it'll tell me 
how many hit points he has and what his stats are. And, you know, if he's a ranger, he might have a couple of spells. So it'll tell me what those spells are. Um, you can also can I just say, say into chat sheet, yes. as a DM. Yes. Stat blocks on the fly are fine unless it's a spellcaster. Spellcasters yes. on the fly is just so... Because every every ounce of information that I have ever stored in my brain about spellcasters, what they can cast, how many spell slots they have, how many spells... Uh-huh. They- immediately goes out the window. Yes. Every time. Have you looked at the the simplified way of doing spellcaster stat blocks uh, that, and again, I, I'm hesitant to give credit to wizards, but they did correct this a few, a couple of years ago in terms of, like, now it's basically a, if you have a, a, an enemy spellcaster, they have, rather than slots, they just have spells that they can cast either at will, once a day, twice a day, three times a day, and that's yeah, it. Like, I have. So you don't have you don't you don't have to worry about the slots. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, Ross. Is that implies? Did you miss the part where I just said literally any information I ever had in my brain about spellcasters <laughs> goes out the window? Because yeah. you are implying mm-hmm. that as I'm making up this character on the fly, that I have any wherewithal. And that is one of the things where I have used ChatGPT, and it was just like I need, you know, a. Uh, I'm trying to think like some something just super op that I don't like that you guys are not because this is not a real example, but like I need a level fourteen cobalt wizard. <laughs> I have never played a wizard. I don't know all of the rules of wizards. Um, but ChatGPT will say, like, here is here is their stat block and here are their spells. Here, right. Now I will say, because ChatGPT is extremely imperfect, I will then go and check the pH or an online source to make sure that these are real spells. <laughs> and if they are not real spells, I will figure out a way to adjust the homebrew so that it actually makes sense for what I am trying to do. So it's not like ChatGPT created the spell that is completely broken. Um, but for the most part, like it is, it is not giving me all of the, like, it's not giving me the description of the spell. I still have to go into the pH or into one of the online sources say like, oh, uh, chromatic orb. That's a wizard, a sorcerer spell, not a wizard spell, but we'll go with it. Like chromatic orb, um, requires a diamond that's worth a a thousand gold points. And like, does this character have a diamond? I don't know. Like what did chat GPT tell me this character has a diamond? No. So now I get to decide. Does this care? I am never copy pasting directly from chat GPT. It's just that sometimes in the moment where it's like, oh, you want to pick a fight with a bartender? Great. These are his stats in that capacity. And I'm definitely ready. Yes. (laughs) It's just, it's a helpful shortcut. Yes, I see see Ross is waving a a finger at me. (laughs) Um, Actually, Chromatic Orb requires a diamond that's only worth 50 gold. Oh, Jesus. Okay. I knew there was an actually coming. Thank you. Thank you so much, husband o' mine. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll just end the episode on on that little uh, mansplain that I just got from my husband. <laughs> Unless anybody has anything else they'd like to add about uh, any of the things that we've talked about today. Otherwise, um, we will we will see or you will hear from us in about two weeks. We'll have all our people call your people. Mm-hmm.
Yes. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Oops All Bards is created, GM'd, and directed by Jillian Ashley Blair Ivy. This episode was produced, edited, and sound designed by Nate Runkle. Oops All Bards stars Ashley Banks as Belle Cernamiel, Ann Coleman as Clarice Sauercloud, Ross Curry as Andrick Harrowhold, Chris Klinecki as Poochton Ruckus, Bob Killian as Killonian Stumps, featuring Paige Klinecki as the voice of the Bark Buttons. The Oops All Bards theme song is by Bob Killian with additional lyrics by Jillian Ashley Blair Ivy. Oops All Bards is executive produced by The Porch Room. We are part of The Porch Room Network on Spreaker Prime. For more information, visit oopsallbards.com. Thanks, and be sure to subscribe to Oops All Bards on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. We'll see you next time. How will it go? Well, we're sure you can guess. Oops, it's, it's all, all bars. bars. Oh, what a mess.